Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for on patrol with the PPD. Airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning and welcome to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television, and also available on all of your popular podcast platforms. Today is Friday, December, I don't even know, December 9th, 10th, 9th, 2022. My name is Mike Wynn. I am one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this uh periodically sporadically weekly radio program i'm also the chief of police here in the city of pittsfield massachusetts at least for the next eight months Uh, we'll get to that in a minute today is a live episode and it is another kind of new format Um, we've got some stuff we'll talk about but for the first time since we started this program i'm joined in studio by a non-department member working the board we've got a (laughs) wtbr and pctv uh, staffer Dave Cachet filling in to, to do the technical stuff for us. Thanks, Dave. Nah, not a problem at all. Enjoy it, Chief. It's yeah. uh, my pleasure. First time I've ever run the board for a live show. Yeah. So Nice. And since, <laughs> and since we are live, we'll start with a, a check of the weather, a couple news items, and then we'll introduce our guest who's joining us this morning. WTBR forecast from BerkshireWeather.com for Friday, December 9th. Greetings. Today, sunny with a high of 38. Tonight, mostly clear with a low of 19. Tomorrow, mostly sunny with a high of 36. That's your latest WTBR forecast. For more weather forecast and education, go to BerkshireWeather.com. I'm Jane Klein for WTBR, and I hope you all have an amazing day. Cheers, everyone. Thanks, Jacob, for another outstanding weather report. It always makes me smile when I, when I hear Jacob's forecast. No matter what's in the forecast, and it sounds like we're going to get some weather for the coming weekend. When I got in the cruiser to drive here today, I had a plan for two news articles I was going to highlight, but that plan went off the rails, as plans often do. We've been doing this show for a couple of years, and uh, generally, not always, but generally, I take the same route when I drive from home to the studio. And today, again, on East Housatonic between Bartlett and Wendell, there's another motor vehicle collision between my home and the studio. I, I'm going to have to have uh, Sergeant Madalena from the traffic division do an analysis for me. I'm pretty confident that stretch of road may be the most frequent location for accidents anywhere. It, it's out it's on, and we've re-engineered it. We've opened the sight lines. This is not a uh, a roadway safety problem. This is a driver behavior problem. <laughs> if you're driving through that neighborhood, slow down, stop, pay attention. It, it, it's just accidents happen there all the time. In other news, the second item I wanted to highlight: uh, the, the criminal justice system in Berkshire County, uh, law enforcement, and DA's office is one week into the. Uh, homicide trial and the death of Asiana Jones. Our, our personnel have been deeply, deeply involved in, in the proceedings to this point. Uh, they were not in court yesterday. The judge had a conflict, but they're back today. And so we're tracking that closely. And I guess the third news item that is timely is kind of the elephant in the room. And that is that on Tuesday, uh, Mayor Tyre and I announced my in, anticipated impending retirement um, due to some stuff that has occurred in my personal life and a couple of things that are going on outside of uh, law enforcement 
I just had to reprioritize. And so, although I, I had long planned on retiring early, I had not necessarily planned on retiring this early, um, but some stuff shifted last summer. <clears throat> and my wife and I decided it was time. And uh, on positive news, when, I, when I, we did the press event on Tuesday, the media asked, I said, you know, I had a physical last June and, and some of the numbers were moving in the wrong direction. As of this morning, they're moving in the right direction. <laughs> so um, something, something good is happening with that. Uh, but we're, we're working through the transition plan and there'll be more to come on future episodes about that. But that's enough about, uh, about news and, and my plans. So I'm joined in studio this morning by the newest member of the Pittsfield Police Department, Officer Caleb Simony. We, uh, I thought he was going to be joined in studio this morning by his field training officer, but um, we got a little, a little staffing switch going on. We're going to we're gonna have to talk to Phil and field training officer Virgilio, who apparently did a drive-by, dropped Caleb off, <laughs> and then went to establish a traffic post that I came through this morning. Um, but that's, that's fine. So welcome, Caleb. Good morning. Thanks for having me. How are you? Doing pretty good today. Nice. Uh, so, Caleb, generally when we have a live guest in studio, we like to start with just a little bit of humanizing the badge and, and get to know them uh, kind of as a person. So tell us about yourself. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? What do you do? So I'm from Pittsfield, Mass. Uh, I went to Mount Greylock Regional High School. I was school choice. So I've lived in Pittsfield yeah. my whole life, but I sort of went to schools in Lanesboro Elementary, Mount Greylock. Um, I'm a simple man, really. I'm a runner. Uh, I've gotten into ultra running lately, so in May I'm going to do a 24-hour race. Seriously? Where? Uh, in New Jersey. Okay. But my wife is a marathoner, and so I understand the commitment that goes to that. But ultras are, ultras are next level. How long have you been a runner? Um, ever since I can remember, really. I've always been running in some capacity. In high school, I did track and field for Greylock, and... Okay. Shorter distances then, but sort of transition to longer races now. Any other sports in high school? Um, play a little bit of basketball, but track and field is probably my love. You know, I had okay. a lot of passion for that. Distance runner as a track athlete? Um, 100 meter, 200 meter. I really loved the long jump and triple jump. Those were what I was best at. So uh, originally a sprinter and field events, but now long distance runner. I'm slow so, now. Okay, got it. What'd you do after high school? Um, after high school, I went to Anna Maria College up in Paxton, Mass. On I, campus? Yes. It's a beautiful campus. It is nice. Um, I got my bachelor's in criminal justice and also uh, law and society. Okay, awesome. I, am, uh, I got my master's from Anna Maria, but I did it via the satellite program at Berkshire Community College. Never set foot on campus until the day I graduated. Had no idea where the campus was. Um, I've been back a couple, well, at least once, maybe twice since to, to come speak to criminal justice programs. Uh, usually, right, after the, right after my book came out, they had me out a couple of times. Um, it is a beautiful campus. It is not easy to get to. No, it's in it, the middle of nowhere. There is no direct route to Paxton. <laughs> And, and there's no, like, you, you, if you're visiting, you're basically restricted to lodging in Worcester. There's nothing close to the campus. Not at all. All right, cool. Uh, so when did you graduate from college? Um, I believe 2021, May of 2021. Yeah, so you're, you're, like, fresh out. When did you take the civil service exam? Probably a month or two after that. Okay. So you, that's ideal timing for somebody who wants to get in law enforcement. Absolutely. Get out of school, get the test out of the way. 
<clears throat> we've talked about this with uh, previous guests on the show. It doesn't normally work out that way. Usually, like, you know, you get out of school and the test was the previous year, so you got to wait a year or um, you get out of school and you took the test in school and you missed, you, you couldn't sign the list, so you, you missed a recruiting selection. Uh, to roll out of college into a recruiting process is, is how it should work, but we don't control the timing of that. So uh, I don't, it, I didn't realize this until I actually was at your graduation. Um, for reasons that I'm probably going to have to make recommendations to my successor for, our, our application process, although it is stringent and detailed, it doesn't necessarily include a lot of personal information. So I had no idea you were related to Lindsay until I saw her at the, at the high school for your graduation. <laughs> it, it just didn't click, right? It's a fairly common name in the county. So I had no idea. She comes running up to me. I'm like, why are you at this graduation? She's like, it's my brother. <laughs> okay. Um, so we'll, we'll have to take a look at that. So you got out of school last May and took the civil service exam. How long after you took the civil service exam did uh, HR or recruiting and selection reach out for you? Probably a month or two. Okay. Man, it couldn't have gotten any faster. I'm blessed. How? So we took the exam shortly after you got out of school. How long did it take them to certify the list and get you to us? After that, I would probably say less than a month. I don't know that I've ever... Is this the standard chief for... No, uh, I don't know that I've ever <laughs> spoken to somebody that it, it went in that order that quickly. That's amazing. All right, so uh, you're a couple months out of school. You reach out, you come in and sign the list, as we say. Um, and then it would have been Lieutenant Mazio who reached out to contact you and kind of get you into the pipeline. Yes. So this is all still fresh in your memory. Uh, usually when we, we have people in here... Um, even if they're they're in the beginning of their field training process, it's it's a been a lengthier process. They may have been two or three years out from when we started vetting them. So since I've got you here and this is so fresh in your memory, I, w- I want to kind of walk through the the steps a little bit. So when the recruiting team um, contacted you, one of the things we've been doing for the last several years, and I I think we did it with your group, but if I'm wrong, please correct me. Uh, they they generally schedule a day where they're going to provide you with the application, do a little bit of orientation. And did they do a physical assessment for you that same day? Yes. They got everybody in and they, and they did this, they did all that stuff up front. So let's talk about the day first and then we'll talk about the application. So you get notified and you're told to come to this meeting. Was it at Taconic? Yes. Uh, what was that like? What was the day like when you showed up there? It was cold. It was pretty cold out. Um, we went, what I remember the most is we went to the track and we were just talking a little bit, and there were probably seven or eight of us, I think, in total. And uh, we took the fitness test, and, you know, I didn't perform my best that day, but I did my best and got some good numbers. And uh, that's what I remember most about that day, really. So one of the things that's happened in the Commonwealth in the last several years now It's a little bit different from the way it had been done when I went through the academy and even, you know, as as recently as five years ago is so everybody who's going to get sent to the academy has to go take the uh, human resources division physical abilities test, the PAT. It's kind of like an obstacle based test. It's it's there's a time standard for it. But in addition to that, now the municipal police training committee has an entry level standard and, and there's a there's a physical fitness test that is also 
um, required to be on file before we can send you to the academy. And one of the things that we realized as they made this change is that, and I've said this before, depending on your body style and your body type, you don't have to be that fit to pass the PAT. You, you can get through it just with you know determination and willpower. Uh, for the most part, but the fitness assessment, the physical fitness assessment, there's no way around that. You got to make the numbers. And so we were sending people down and they were passing the PAT, but not passing the PFT. So recruiting and selection decided we had to pretest. We, we needed to know when we contacted these people how they could do that. So for the last several years, we've been having these usually on a weekend, Saturday or morning, Saturday, uh, midday, these meetings where we bring the potential candidates in, they meet with a team from recruiting and selection and our, our training unit and the physical training unit. And they both go get the application, go over the application, kind of do an orientation to the process. And they take a pre-assessment to see how they're going to do. It gives us, um, it gives us a standard if we have to train them up to something. And I don't know, we've probably done it three or four times now. And as is often the case in law enforcement, We've never done it on a, a beautiful, pleasant Berkshire day. We've either done it when it was miserable and cold or on days when it was so hot that we had to obtain special equipment to put on standby and have EMS standing by at the track because we were worried we were going to lose somebody. Um, it, it's always one extreme or the other. Mm-hmm. So you take the assessment and uh, did you do that first? Did you start with that? Yes. All right, so then they give you a little chance to, you know, get some water on board, maybe have a snack. They bring you down, sit you somewhere down there, and then they go through the application. Yes. So when they handed you the application, what was the first thing that went through your mind? This is this is a lot. Because it, it's it's like forty pages, right? It is. It's a novel. Um, yeah, it's it's insane. And so then Lieutenant Mazio or somebody from the team will go through that with you. They basically go through it line by line to make sure that. Uh, you understand the process, and and that wasn't in the room, but I've been through enough of these. They're going to tell you, one, you need to answer every question thoroughly and accurately. You need to attach documentation to support some of the stuff in there. You need to sign off that everything that you provide is true and accurate to the best of your knowledge. And if you don't complete it or provide documentation, it will be considered a failure, right? Yes. <clears throat> I, I can't emphasize for our viewers and listeners enough how many potential candidates fail to complete the application. They fail to completely, accurately and thoroughly complete the application. And I'll just put it out there. If after having done that orientation, you come back to us, to recruiting and selection, and the app, you, you left something out, you didn't answer a question. We find out that you omitted a residence. You omitted a place of employment. You didn't account for every gap in employment. Um, you didn't attach a transcript. We just won't process the application. We're done. That's it. It's over. The process is over. You're you're disinvited. Um, there's there's no redos. There's no takebacks. It, it's it's one direct shot. <laughs> Chief, is this a Pittsfield thing or a state thing? It's this a application? Our, our process is a Pittsfield thing, but this is fairly standard okay. for cities in the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. Um, smaller towns, they don't have the, the resources to necessarily do this, but most of the cities, uh, they do this. Mm-hmm. Um, how long did they give you to complete the application? Um, maybe, not entirely sure, but probably in the time frame, maybe a week. Yeah. So it, 
it's not easy. Like I, I concede that we used to, um, we used to give people, you know, a couple weeks. In some cases, we give them up to a month to obtain all the documentation, get stuff together, and it because of our desire to continue to relentlessly pursue our staffing numbers. In the last several years, we're like, look, we'll we'll give you, a, we'll give you two business, you know, two two business weeks. We'll give you the weekend and an extra weekend, but we're not giving people a ton of time to just lollygag. If if we bring you into this process, we want to know that you want to be with us, mm-hmm. and so uh, you have to demonstrate some commitment and and get through that, and so. Give you the application they give you your deadline they tell you to compile the stuff and then did the lieutenant have you bring the application back in and and sit down with somebody from recruiting and selection yes and, and what did they do at that point so we sat down uh sort of in the comms room i believe and uh sat down with lieutenant mazio and we just talked about all the transcripts and everything went over a little personal stuff and then he said, okay, we should be in touch with you soon. Did, they, did he go through the application with you again? Yes, did, every, page by page. And initial every page. Every single right. page. So they told you when they handed it to you, be complete and thorough and accurate. And then when you completed it, they had you attest to the accuracy of every page. Yes. And then you sign off on the application and you sign a release and authorization for us to obtain personal information, previous employment information, and then the background process starts. <laughs> Did, were you aware of what was going on d- during the background process? Like, Did you have somebody that you listed as a reference reach out and say, oh, the department just contacted me? Like, you, Were you aware that we were checking you out? Um, well, my girlfriend at the time, she called me. She's like, I just got a call from Sergeant Gray and he's asking me about you. And I was like, yeah, you know, I told her about it. And so, you know, candidates are required to provide employment references. Obviously, we can call previous employers and check, you know, what was your work life like? Were you reliable? You you know, was your attendance good and stuff like that? Uh, You're also required to provide us with residence references. If you tell us that you lived you know, in six different places in the previous 10 years, we're going to want you to tell us somebody that lived in your neighborhood uh, for each of those residents so we can go find out if you were a rowdy neighbor, if you were a good neighbor, if you, you know, left your trash cans out all week long or shoveled the sidewalk or whatever. And then we're going to ask you to provide us with information about your intimate relationships. And we're going to, we're going to want to talk to your partner or spouse and former partners, um, and and just find out like what what your home life has been like it's it's a deep deep dive i was gonna say it sounds like something the average person like myself would never think of even going that deep on stuff it's a deep dive and then one of the things that has been added in the last several years and is now required um in order to obtain post certification we're going to examine your social media we're going we're gonna to do a dive and look at candidate social media to find out if they have any associations with organizations that, um, you know, may be involved or may espouse bias or uh, anti-government sentiments or, um, you know, discriminatory practices. And 
like we'll, we'll say, will you give us access to your Facebook? Will you provide, a, you know, will you let us look at the history on your Instagram? Um, it's, it, in all honesty, it's invasive. It is invasive. Um, how long between the time that you sat down with the lieutenant for what we call the moment of truth and when he contacted you and said, we're going to proceed, you're going to come in for an interview with the chief? Um, probably maybe two, two, three weeks. Okay. That that's fast. If that's the case, Sergeant Gray jammed through that background investigation. Um, and you know, if we were up against a tight Academy deadline, then, then our background investigators will, they'll prioritize and they will work around the clock to get those done. So we don't miss Academy deadlines. Uh, and so then what happens is recruitment and selection, uh, Lieutenant Mazio and, and his team, they go through all of those background packages and they prepare summary documents and they bring, so they come to me and they say, we pre-assessed at Taconic seven candidates. We've done the background investigations. Um, we've cleared four of the four that we've cleared, uh, you know, based on their academic performance and, and their standing on the test, we're recommending three, uh, and we'd like chief's interviews. And so they work with my admin staff to get those interviews on the schedule. And so had we met prior to your interview with me? Don't believe no, so. No, you never like <laughs> ran into, ran into you with your sister out there in the community. Um, so for our viewers and listeners, Tell them about your experience in the Chiefs interview. So I think it was conducted over Zoom, and um, it was it was nerve wracking. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> um, I tried my best to prepare for it, and I think I did okay. You know, I cited Plato's Republic by Aristotle, and we were having a little conversation about that. And it just goes back to sort of why I wanted to get into public service and why I wanted this career path. So, um, if it was a Zoom one, was it just me and the lieutenant? I believe so. So just so the viewers and listeners know, uh, like everybody else, the pandemic um, really altered the way we, we do stuff or have done stuff. And we had a practice in place prior to the pandemic that we, we didn't, I won't say we did it with 100% fidelity. It was, it was what we attempted to do if all the uh, resources were available and everything fell in the line. And then we just couldn't do it um, as a result of the pandemic. But... Um, what we had been doing and what you know i prefer to do and recommend is when we do those initial interviews i'll, I'll do them as the chief because i have to make a recommendation to the mayor as the appointing authority but i like to have um i like to have a more diverse representation in those interviews and at one point in time we would do pre-candidate interviews and there would be five to seven department members uh president and conducting the interview it would be me in recruiting and selection usually the supervisor from field training the division commander from patrol because uh, that's where you're going to land and um in some cases a union representative uh just you know because they're they have a vested interest um you know in who they're going to represent so we would do that uh and those in-person interviews the panel interviews <laughs> I can tell you right now, if I, I went through them. When that I was doesn't going, sound intimidating at all. <laughs> I went through them when I was going through the federal application process, and I would not want to go through one of those. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you got, it was intimidating, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, what, what's, what was the interview like? What were the questions like? 
Um, some some of the questions I think were, you know, what made you want to get into this? You know, what are some of your, what are some of the aspects about you that will make you uh, suitable for this job, <coughs> for this career? And uh, those were some of the main <coughs> questions. How about those last three questions? Do you remember? I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> so after the stock interview questions, I give you an opportunity to ask me any questions, and then we give you some scenario-based questions. Uh, you, you recall that? Yes, yes. <clears throat> Do you remember any of the scenarios? One was sort of um, an integrity thing. You, you uh, respond to a call at a high up, like an officer that's very high up, maybe a lieutenant or something, and he, it's a domestic, and he tells you, it's all set here, just go home. And you ask me, what would you do? And I said, I'd call my supervisor. I'm not going home. This is one of the most volatile situations there are, and it doesn't really matter who it is. You gotta, you gotta get to the bottom of it. So, <clears throat> so generally speaking, it's three three scenario questions. All pre candidates get asked. Uh, I usually use the same three questions, um, and and the setup is always the same. You're you've completed the you don't have to know the law. We're not asking you to you know cite case law and stuff like that. But you've completed the academy and you've completed field training officer or field training and you're an individual officer on patrol. The first one is uh, you're on patrol, you hit a slick spot in a parking lot and you have a minor, minor motor vehicle collision that doesn't result in apparent damage and your senior officer in the next sector happens to be driving by and tells you it's not reportable to see what you're going to do. The second one is you stop a car that you suspect the operator is impeded and they tell you they're a personal friend of the chief of the mayor and your backup officer, same guy from the first scenario, shows up and confirms that that person is best friends with the chief of the mayor and they're asking you to call me. And the third one is a domestic involving a senior commander in the department. And again, we're not looking to see if, if these candidates know the law. We're looking to see if they're going to do the right thing. If they're going to say, I don't care who's in that car. I'm going to do what I'm trained to do. That commanding officer can't give me an unlawful order i'm going to continue to do my job and <clears throat> most nearly all of our our candidates answer those questions the right way but it's not 100 percent. and honestly those three questions are the most important questions in the interview because if a candidate for employment looks at me and says well you know um i i'd give them a ride home i'd give that person a ride home you're done. It's, that is a clear chink in the armor in a, in a candidate's integrity. And if they don't say, I don't care who that individual is, I'm going to do my job, they're not getting advanced. So obviously you, you said the right things because you got advanced. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so um, between... We've only got a couple minutes left before we have to take a station break. But, so between the interview and Lieutenant Mazio telling you that they were going to put you on the calendar for the next critical steps, how much time passed? So after that, I, I don't remember exactly, but um, maybe another few weeks. A couple weeks. Yeah. And when the lieutenant contacted you, um, get you scheduled for a, a medical that was probably the first thing, right? And go see the doc at Doc Health. And then the medical would have triggered the PAT, the physical abilities test. We'll get you on the calendar for that. And given the fact that this it was kind of in virtual times during the pandemic, 
Did we get the opportunity to have you scheduled for a psych screening prior to the academy? Yes. All right, so those three things, right? Um, so you had the medical. Then did you have to go down to Hudson for the PAT? Yes. What was that like? That was nerve-wracking because there were some functional <coughs> strength things, and uh, there was this bag you had to put before a line, and I kind of struggled with it, so I was like, oh, Lord. Did you, did you go down by yourself? Yes. And uh, Well, actually, Matt and Mike were down there, too. Okay. Um, and so the, the physical abilities test, is it's a, it's a functional fitness test. It, it's an obstacle-based test. You got to run around the perimeter of the gym, go over a wall, through a window, up over a set of stairs. I don't even remember all the things. But a trigger pull test. And then you got to – basically, it's, it's like a um, – that pull-down machine with a – a heavy bag on it and you just got to drag that a certain distance and then uh, a modified rowing machine to see if you can put somebody's arms behind their back for cuffing and so get through all that stuff it's on a, it's timed um it, it's not hard but it, it if you've never gone through any of this stuff it's definitely going to test you because these are not skills that you're going to find in a crossfit gym so you get through that and then did you uh, meet doc kelly virtually as well yes so we have to take a, a break here. When we come back from the station identification and PSAs, we'll, we'll ask about your experience with my friend, Dr. Kelly. <laughs> here we go again. Excellent. I demand more. 89.7 WTBR-FM. It's Field. WTBR forecast from BerkshireWeather.com for Friday, December 9th. Greetings. Today, sunny with a high of 38. Tonight, mostly clear with a low of 19. Tomorrow, mostly sunny with a high of 36. That's your latest WTBR forecast. For more weather forecast and education, go to BerkshireWeather.com. I'm Jacob Klein for WTBR, and I hope you all have an amazing day. Cheers, everyone. Hello, my name is Sergeant Mark Madalena with the Pittsfield Police Department. As you know, decisions we make every day can affect us for the rest of our lives. What you may not realize is that you are 23% more likely to be involved in a collision while you are texting and driving. That means texting and driving makes you 23 times more likely to cause a crash. Every day in the United States, nine people are killed and more than a thousand are injured as a result of a crash caused by a distracted driver. Remember, put down the phone and arrive alive. Don't text and drive. This message is brought to you by the Pittsburgh Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Hi, it's Jen Glockner. I'm the director of the Office of Cultural Development for the wonderful city of Pittsfield, and I also host the Cultural Pittsfield Radio Show on WTBR. It airs every Friday at 8.30 in the morning. Stay tuned to learn all about the arts and culture scene for the city of Pittsfield and beyond. We hope you listen in every Friday at 8.30 on 89.7 FM WTBR. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Folks, unfortunately, drug use is a driving factor for a lot of crime taking place in our city. The most prevalent crime being theft. Please, take the extra time to ensure that your belongings are safe inside your vehicle. Do not leave anything of value in plain sight. Hide your belongings. Place them in your trunk or take anything of value out of the vehicle. Always keep your vehicle locked. Don't make it easy for them. 
This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Do you have a favorite show on WTBR-FM? Did you miss the last episode? We've got good news for you. Most of our shows are now available on podcast. You can subscribe to your favorite and have the latest episode downloaded to your device automatically on Apple, Google, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or Overcast. Go to WTBRFM.com slash podcasting and find out more today. WTBRFM for the love of radio. All right, we're back. Uh, it is Friday, December 9th. I'm losing it. Uh, we've been talking with Officer Caleb Simony, <clears throat> the newest member of the Pittsfield Police Department. Excuse me. <clears throat> got a little congestion this morning. Uh, so, Caleb, before we went to the break, we left off with the uh, pre-academy process, and uh, you were going to meet with Doc Kelly. Uh, he's our, our psych services provider. Um, I, I'm a... I'm a fan and a friend of Dr. Kelly's. We've, we discovered Dr. Kelly several years ago when um, we were dealing with a member of our department who was, you know, in, in all honesty, in crisis. And I, uh, I contacted our previous psych provider, and I wanted to know um, the results of the pre-employment psychological screening, specifically uh, for indications or, or risk of post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic stress disorder because this employee was a um, veteran who had seen significant traumatic combat in, in a high-profile battle that's actually been documented in, in books and movies. And my our previous provider informed me that he didn't screen our candidates for post-traumatic stress. So we fired him <laughs> and, and found a new provider. And we've been working with Doc Kelly ever since. And Doc Kelly and I have detailed conversations over the years about why it's important that we know um, the the trauma history and kind of the baggage that our people are arriving with because we're going to put them in a profession that's going to expose them to more of that and potentially trigger some things. So we need to know um, what to look out for so that we can take care of our people. So what was your experience with Dr. Kelly like? It was good. I, I enjoyed it. Um, there are hundreds of questions I answered, hundreds he, he uses a couple different written instruments, and then um, he, pro- he provides us with a detailed report um, that basically says, you know, this, this person is well-adjusted, and, they're, they're, you know, their, their profile appears to be similar to that for, you know, people who generally are attracted to law enforcement, and, you know, they probably would benefit from additional education and professional mentoring and stuff like that. But he also, you know, is honest and he says, you know, this, this person is, I'm recommending this person, but this is something you need to know, be aware of and you need to look out for. And they're, they're not typical of the profile of people who are attracted to law enforcement. The fact that they're going through this process for you is a little bit of an anomaly. And so they may need a little more close supervision or they may need a little more mentoring. And it gives us some information. We don't share the details of any of this with anybody else in the department. But it gives the field training team a kind of a, um, some guideposts for what they should do and how they should structure the training. They, they get a very brief synopsis of what Dr. Kelly provides to the department. So obviously you got through that. Um, it, I'm close enough to retirement now that I can share. I, I am among one of the few people I know in the Pittsfield Police Department that 
did not make it through the psychological pre-screening in a in a straight shot. I got sent back <laughs> for a follow-up. Um, and in, in hindsight, after you know my my years in law enforcement and some work I've been doing uh, in my study of psychology, I now know that one why that probably happened is I was carrying some baggage from some childhood trauma that um, you know did not did not appear as baseline, and so the doc had to do a double check. I got through it. I was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it, we do this because we want to know that we're not going to bring somebody in here and send them out on a critical call and and have cause an emotional breakdown. We, we don't want to do that to somebody. So predictable is preventable. So get you through all of that. And then we start what we call the pre-academy process. So there's some trips back and forth to the uniform store and how long before you went to the academy did we onboard you for administration? Um, probably the week, week or two of. So a couple, you'll, you'll be in-house for a, usually a week, sometimes two weeks. Um, recruitment and retention goes through to make sure that you're as well prepared for the academy as you can be. Do you have all the things on the equipment list? Is everything properly labeled with your name? Does it all fit in the big hockey bag? All that, go through all that stuff. And then did, I, at some point, I'm sure I came down to talk to you. Did I tell you, did I ask you if you felt like you were prepared for the academy? Yes. And did I tell you that no matter how prepared you thought you were that you weren't? Yes. And that you couldn't take it personally because you could never be right? Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have been a staff instructor and I know how the game is played. And we'll ask a, a student officer a question and they'll give us a response. And we don't care what the response is. If they answered the way we expected them to answer, we're going to find a way to turn that back on them. And if they didn't answer the way we expected them to answer, they're wrong. And that's pretty much your life for 21 weeks. Um, it's not that bad. It, it usually only lasts a few weeks unless the class messes up. And then you know, staff instructors do what staff instructors do. So you went to the academy at the Western Mass Academy. Yes. You're the last class to graduate from um, my, my Western Mass Academy, the academy I helped relocate from Agawam to Springfield. The current company just relocated on Wednesday. They're now in the new Western Mass Academy um, at, in Holyoke. And as a complete aside, I am, I was informed when I was at your graduation and I am deeply, deeply, deeply disturbed that the MPTC has made a decision for the reasons they didn't share with us that they're renumbering the classes. The class that moved Wednesday will be the last class in your class series, right? So the Western Mass classes have been numbered from one to 64. Yes. From one to 64 in succession through three homes, three different moves. We kept numbering them. Now they're in their fourth home and they're starting over at one. It just doesn't make any sense. Numbers keep going up. So yeah. You, yeah. You think I, just, I just to, for I, clarification's sake, you wouldn't want to duplicate numbers. Yeah. I don't, right. I don't know why they would decide to do it. They didn't consult with me. <laughs> it makes me angry. Didn't sound like they consulted with anybody. <laughs> they they obviously did because they've done it well, at sure. other they've done it at other new regional academies as well. It's it's a practice that they've been implementing over the last couple of years, but it's a break with tradition. It's mm. not good. Mm. Um, I was at your graduation, and I was approached on my way out by one of the detail officers. Uh, he was a motor officer from Chicopee. I didn't recognize him. He, I'd seen him on the way in, and he didn't recognize me. He didn't greet me. And then on the way out, somebody had told him uh, that I 
who I was, and I had been his staff instructor. Um, I think he was. He told me he was in the forty first recruit officer class. So I was in the. I graduated in the twenty fifth. I was assigned to the academy as a staff instructor in the thirty sixth. I stayed a staff instructor until I became the chief, and the forty first was my last class. And you were sixty four. Um, when he said that to me, and I I did those numbers in my head, that was one of the things that was like enough. <laughs> I've done my time. <clears throat> so, um, how often are these classes, Chief? Are they once a year? So every six months? Is it just whenever if, there's enough candidates? If things work out the way kind of the plan has been, um, each regional academy will try to run two classes a year. Classes of about. They're just under six months. Mm-hmm. So what they'll try to do is they'll, they'll complete a class. They'll give the academy staff a, a, not quite a month to reset and retool, and they'll roll another class in. And so mm-hmm. with the gap, the three- to four-week gap between classes, it's just under two a year. Mm-hmm. But there's such a staffing demand across the Commonwealth right now that every regional academy is now under a mandate to run two simultaneous classes oh. parallel. So... Bef- two weeks or three weeks before Caleb's class graduated, the follow-on class started mm. in the same facility. They, wow. they were running on opposite schedules. Mm. Okay. So, um, and every, I've spoken to the executive director of the MPTC, every regional academy has been told for the indefinite future, mm. prepare to run two classes at the same time just to meet the, the numbers. Um, there's, there's a big staffing gap in law enforcement across the Commonwealth right now. Yeah. So they've got to address it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your academy experience. You report down there to stick for the infamous day one experience. That that was uh, shocking. It was eye opening. So you're formed up. Probably were, did they have you form up outside of your cars or sit in your cars until they came out? We sat in our cars until they eventually yeah. came out. Yeah, so they tell you to park. Did they still use K lot? Yes. So they tell you to park down there in K lot, which looks like a post apocalyptic <laughs> landscape. <laughs> In the in the dreaded darkness of zero dark thirty, and then the uh, academy staff. So the the academy staff instructors, the, the 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 hats, generally assisted by some subject matter instructors who also have been specially trained. They uh, they bomb burst out and kind of drop in the parking lot like a tornado, and then things get a little chaotic. Do you remember it? I remember one thing that I did right the entire day, really, and, and that was the one thing I didn't get yelled at for. It was uh, I never looked at any drone stru- or staff instructor in the eyes. I just looked past them, looked through them. Looked through them. That was the only thing I did right, though. And so over the course of the at least the first half of that day, um, it, let's just say they're gonna conduct uniform and equipment inspections. Numerous, detailed, item by item, uniform and equipment inspections. Um, and I say inspections plural because the classes never do well on the first inspection. <laughs> and so uh, inspections, it's, did they move you into the gym after the kind of the initial bomb burst? Or did they do everything outside? Everything outside. Yeah. So it's weather dependent, but uh, if it's everything outside, it, it can be a, long difficult day and a longer night because your stuff's gonna get dirty um so you got the hockey bag with every item on the equipment list in it 
And per the instructions, every item must be labeled with your name. Every item, the pens in your uniform pocket, they'll check to see if they got your name on them, right? Um, it's I've looked at it, the equipment list has changed over the years, but I've gone through when recruits come back of like received some of their gear back in, um, and if they were told to report on day one with the the training rounds, the orange plastic rounds for range week. We've had recruits individually label the 50 training rounds, right? So you just, you never know. And the staff instructors, they'll, like, this is one of the things that they can get as detailed as they want. And they'll, they'll look at the pen, and if the pen has your name on it, they'll open the pen to see if the barrel inside the pen has your name on it, right? It's, it's, it can be a little ridiculous. Um, so every item comes out of the bag, and then every item has to go back into the bag, but they give you a time stamp on how long you have to get back into the bag. And in all honesty, it's not achievable. It's, it, it's impossible. So it's a failure. And so you do it again. And you do it again. You get faster and faster. Um, it used to amaze me. Like we, when I was a staff instructor, without fail, staff instructor, do the bag, dump the bag, do the bag, dump the bag, do the bag, dump the bag. They'd hit, they'd hit the time hack. They'd make it. All the bags would be sealed. All student officers would be standing in a rigid position of attention. And then we would have them pick up the bags. And one student officer would have one item under the bag. They would forget <laughs> and it would be hidden. And the, dump the bag, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden you see the student officers without instruction, without um, provocation, they get their bag done and then they start looking under their buddy's bags, right? And that, that's actually part of the process is to see who is going to expose themselves, put themselves in jeopardy for doing something they weren't instructed to do in order to protect their partner. Uh, from the very first day in the academy, right? That, that instinct to check on your buddy, we want to see if it's there. And so it probably took you almost up to lunchtime to get through that process, right? Yes. And then... Uh, after lunch, they put you in the classroom and, and kind of start like some health and wellness stuff. Yes. It's still pretty consistent. Um, and then the academy starts, right? You, you made it through that. Uh, did everybody come back the second day? No. <laughs> they never do. <laughs> 100% of the time, somebody is going to go through that experience on the first day and realize they made a mistake. This is not for them. And they just don't show up for work. I'm sure that's part of the reason for that first day and You're going to have days like that, I'm guessing, in the if, future, in the job. And look, it, I was a staff instructor. Uh, I will, like, you know, I've had former students come back. I, we have a, I have a former student officer who is currently employed by the department. She was in my first or second class. To this day, and she's a veteran officer. She's been on the job for almost 20 years. To this day, if I walk into her workspace and I say, stand by, she will have a physical reaction. Like, she... she she is traumatized by the time that we spent together at the academy. And I'm very sorry for that. Um, but, yeah, there, there's a couple, uh, you know, I, colleagues that I still have in law enforcement. I'll run into them. They're either with us or they're with other departments, and I'll run into them, uh, including a, a local chief. And they're like, you were such a <laughs> – um, but it's, it's deliberate because as bad as day one is or as bad as some of the experiences at the academy are, they're nowhere near as bad as some of the days you're going to experience as a cop, yeah. right? You're not going to get hurt unless something goes wrong in defensive tactics or, you know, um, on, on some of the PT stuff. Nobody at the academy is attempting to hurt you. Nobody at the academy dislikes you, 
Right? They may act like that, but they all want you to succeed. You graduate from the academy, you get through field training, you're going to face days that there are people who will try to do harm to you just because of the uniform you're wearing. It, there's, we have to prepare people to deal with adversity and stress. And so, yeah, the academy, it's a, it's a drain. But it's it's the price of admission to the greatest profession on earth, right? <laughs> so uh, after after the first couple of days, the tornado, the whirlwind, you settle into the academy. What was the academy like? You went through the new curriculum. It was uh, it was it was tough. I'm not gonna lie. It was it was pretty tough for me. Um, in that first week, we we had that day one. It was pretty horrendous. And then Friday was a reset. And it was just as bad, maybe even worse than day one. Just want to make sure people are in the right mindset to come back after the weekend. <laughs> um, but so I've said this on this program before, and so you can you can report to the police academy, and you can show up, and you can do the minimum that's expected of you, and you will graduate. You, you, you will graduate if you achieve, it's, I think it's standard, 70% on all of your academic stuff and, and the various skills on your, your physical skill stuff. But the previous executive director of the MPTC would say to student officers at graduation, tomorrow when you go out on the street, no resident is willing to accept 70%. Mm -hmm. you, you have to show up and give 100% on every call you go on for the duration. And, and that's a commitment. And so <clears throat> when I got to the academy as a much younger person, I realized that it, I wasn't just going to show up. I, I, wanted, I wanted to excel. I wanted to, put it, um, I wanted to put in the work, and I wanted to learn as much as I can to be the best cop that I, I could. And I, I'm proud to say that I did that. But my academy experience, trying to not just achieve the minimum, but to actually get it, the academics in the academy – because I was trying to get as much of it as I could, were as rigorous as the academics I went through at the U.S. Naval Academy and Williams College. If, if you're not just going to you know, aim for a C, you want to do well in the academy, you got to put in work. Mm -hmm. And you know, studying, like I, one of the things that somebody pointed out to me is law school is really, really hard. It, it's a slog and it's a commitment. But when you graduate from law school and your client comes to you and they ask you a question, generally speaking, you're going to go to a book or go to a database and you're going to look it up. The cop on the side of the street at three in the morning can't look it up. They need to know it. Now, they don't need to know it to the same extent in the details of the lawyer, but they need to know the law they're required to know instantly by memory every day. There, there's no... You know, when you get back to the station, yeah, you can double check stuff. But if you got to make an arrest, you need to know you have the elements of probable cause to make the arrest. You can't just call the sergeant and say, I think I might. It, it, you got to know. Mm. Um, so in order to know that stuff, you got to put in work. And the academy is not easy. Um, the academy in Massachusetts is particularly not easy. Plus, I also, to uh, <laughs> add to your lawyer uh, analogy, I never think of a lawyer also having to potentially tackle their client <laughs> yeah. or chase their client <laughs> Not over usually. a fence. <laughs> this you know. is a complete aside. Yeah. So there's a, there is a local uh, member of the bar. He's, you know, he's on the dark side. He's a defense uh, counsel now. But he's my friend. And um, I, I'm not going to name him because I, I don't have permission. But he's also a training partner. And I was thrilled to be present in our dojo last week because he obtained his jujitsu black belt. Mm. 
after decades of study. Uh, they, they so strapped, don't mess with that lawyer. They strapped a black belt. <laughs> he's, he's already a black belt in judo, and he just obtained a black belt in jiu-jitsu. So props to, uh, props to my training partner. So what was the academy like for you? Um, it was just a drawn-out struggle for me. It was, I struggled a lot, but I'm thankful for it. So um, the academics, we talked about that. It, you know, that, that can be a slog. But there's some cool stuff that happens in the academy, right? What other job do you sign up for? We send you down to you know, the trade school, and uh, we're going to give you a week on the range, a minimum of a week, right, because we've got to do the rifle, get some more time. And then we're going to send you to the emergency vehicle operations course. We're going to pay you money to drive fast and take chances. That sounds fun. That, Where, where'd you do EVOC? That was um, up in, uh, what was it? Not Boylston, but um, sort of not Braintree either, but that headquarters sort of, uh, where was it? I'm trying to think. Did you go now. to the State Police Academy? Or, yes. Uh, so you went to New Braintree, not to Devon's. No, uh, Devons, I'm Devons, sorry. Yeah. Devons. So I was trying to the think dri- of it. The driving course out at the former military base. Um, and I don't care who you are. If you get to get into a police car, and, and it's not high-speed stuff, right? There, there's an element of that. It's backing up quickly. Mm-hmm. It's changing the direction of the car in response to a stimulus in front of you with no notice. Um, I can attest. That, so I was just telling the story recently. When I was reporting down to Quantico. For my fellowship, uh, I was in. I was unfortunately in, involved in a motor vehicle collision on I ninety five South. It was uh, football traffic after a game. It's headed uh, down between the district and Virginia, and a, a car stalled, came to a stop in the middle of the interstate in highway traffic, and then another car came around me, and basically cut me off to avoid hitting that car. And so the, the three, the, my vehicle, that vehicle, and the, and the stop vehicle were involved in a collision. I managed to steer out of that collision and bring my my personal vehicle to a safe stop on the side of the road strictly because of the training I had had in, in evasive driving. Um, had I not been able to do that, had I not known how to do that, I'm pretty sure all three occupants of all three cars would have been dead. Um, it, it, so it works. Right? And I, I haven't been back to the driving course since the academy. That's not true. I, I went a couple times as staff instructor, but I didn't get to drive all the courses. But the things they teach you about steering to the apex and front-loading the car and, and shifting the momentum, that stuff works. And it's important. And it's a blast. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like a great for-profit program. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Weekend warrior kind yeah. of people. It's fun. Yeah. Um, so you got out of the academy about a month ago now? Yes. And so you've been in field training now. You, you, have you changed cycles yet? You, did you move phases yet? Not yet. So you're coming up to the end of phase one. Yes. And your primary is Officer Daly? That's right. She's, she's, she's not, she took a day today, so she's not here to defend herself. But <laughs> you can be honest with me. How's she doing? She's great, see, honestly. Officer Daly is a brand new field training officer. Um, I, I, was, I was thrilled to when uh, the field training commanders came and said that she was a candidate to be placed in the field training because she's a she's just a sharp officer she's a she's a good cop she's comparatively junior um but she's she's done some good work to set herself apart and she's passionate and um you know it, that's what we look for in a field training officer field training officers are the unsung heroes of the police department they are probably 
it might be a tie between the first line supervisors, the sergeants, and the field training officers um, for for the people who are the most important personnel in the department as far as continuing uh, advancing the education and training of our personnel. Field training officers make all the difference in the world. Uh, but uh, a field training officer who has lost their edge, who has lost their passion, can do a lot of damage. Mm -hmm. So it's important that when we bring somebody out of the academy and put them in field training, that we put them with people who um, demonstrate and model the correct behavior, the behaviors that we want to see and the skills that we want to see. So you, you've, you've only been out there on the road for about a month. What do you think so far? It's, uh, it's exhilarating, I think. It's, it's a lot of fun. You know, I'm, I'm learning a tremendous amount. I'm trying my best to keep up with it. Just trying to be better each day. It's a fire hose of knowledge, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Any regrets? No regrets. So usually when I have a brand new officer in here, particularly somebody who grew up in the city and knows the city, I, I like to ask this question because I'm always curious about it because I didn't know what the answer was for me. In the last month of being out there in the community as a cop, what is the thing about our city that surprised you the most? That's a good question. Um, surprised me the most. Just the, I never really had any idea about all the different calls you go on, I guess, and sort of the most common ones. The, you know. the variety of, of calls for service. Yes. And you've been on day shift this entire time, right? Yes. Yeah. So what, when I got out of the academy, my first assignment was to evenings um, for break-in. And then immediately after, so after a month on evenings, I went to um, mids. The most surprising for me is how busy and active the city is in the dead of night. Like, it, it, it just doesn't stop. You when you get to mids, you look at three o'clock in the morning, there's stuff going on. Mm -hmm. there, there, there are people who live their entire existence on vampire hours. All right. We're coming up to the end of our time together today. I'm going to thank everybody for tuning in to another, ep new, another new episode of Owl Patrol. I got a quick question though, chief. Go ahead. I'm just hearing the story. How long on average does it take to get someone like officer Simony here from that first initial application to actually if, working this? On if the everything goes According to the timelines, it kind of did for Caleb. Yeah. It's a year. Oof. It's, a, it's about a year. Um, I think of it like turning a big boat. It just yeah. takes a long and time. And rarely does it go as, as anticipated. Yeah, yeah. We, we usually plan for about 18 months from the time they sign the card until the time we can get them through field training. Mm. Okay, and, I, and I'm sure that leads to the staffing issues you've talked about. Where yeah, because we can't someone the, can leave like that, but we you can't get a new one, but like that, and we can't fill the vacancy until the the vacancy is created. Right, so mm -hmm. we can't hire ahead, so mm -hmm. it's a problem. Mm -hmm. All right, we're just about out of time. Uh, traditional last couple of questions. Plans for the weekend, Caleb? Running. Running. Are you working? <laughs> yes. All right. What day is this for you? This is day one. Day one. So yeah, you're working all weekend. Dave, plans for the weekend? Uh, I got my family Christmas party, actually, this week. We used to do it on Christmas Eve, but during the pandemic, we weren't able to have it. And then we realized that, you know what, let's just pick a Saturday and do it. So we're all getting together. And this year, instead of exchanging gifts, we decided to all donate money this year as a family. So every member of our family is donating to the St. Agnes Food Pantry this year in Dalton. Nice. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, Police Association family holiday events are this, this Sunday. Um, with a, a party for the children at the community center in Lenox, and then we've got uh, tickets to NOMCAG 
And for the first time in my career, I have a child in my life to, to do that with the association. So we'll be doing that. Uh, a little bit of training. Thanks for tuning in. It's been another new episode. Until next time, be safe, be healthy, but most importantly, be kind. We're 10-8.